This is Exploring Leaders, episode 6, with Rohit Sharma, partner at True Ventures in Silicon Valley, sharing insights and inspiring you to take leadership in the digital age. Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate, and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders podcast. The experienced team at Degotion interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degotion chairman Lieselot Engstam, who is also an independent board director, business advisor, and startup coach, asks the questions. Hey, is Ruit Sharma. Ruit is a venture partner at True Ventures in Silicon Valley. You might hear some background sounds as this interview was done in Truventure's busy office in Palo Alto, Silicon Valley. Rowit is passionate about strong collaborative networks and shares intriguing reflections about the key challenges for today's leaders in corporate to remain relevant in the digital age. This episode focuses on his leadership journey and areas he believes we need to keep our eyes on. Very nice to meet you again, Ruit. And uh, thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule. So if you could just first let us know your name and your role, and then tell us a bit about what kind of business accomplishments have taken you to where you are today. Uh, Okay, that's going to be a hard question to answer. (laughs) My name is Rohit Sharma. I am currently a venture partner with True Ventures, uh, which is an early stage tech investment venture capital firm in Palo Alto and San Francisco here in the Valley. I've been here for a couple of years in a formal role, and prior to that was an entrepreneur in the portfolio with True Ventures. Um, how did I end up here? Uh, it's a, I would say, a series of uh, fairly random incidents, uh, impulsive choices made by me along the way. There hasn't ever been a plan. Uh, I, I did not, when I was in school, undergraduate or graduate studies, think that I would be in a startup. This was not a goal. I was fortunate enough to do what I wanted to do in studies and graduate studies in the PhD program uh, at the University of Alberta in Canada. And uh, I had a job all lined up at a fairly large company, Nortel, which was at that time the largest telecom company in the world. And uh, a group of uh, researchers um, saw me at a conference in my field, which was optics, and asked me to come interview here for a company they had just started out of Stanford in Palo Alto. And I was doing all kinds of research, so I agreed to do that. As your grad student, they say we'll give you one week of uh, free stay in San Francisco. I said, okay. <laughs> uh, when you're doing a PhD program on scholarships, anything like that is a very good vacation. So I came here, interviewed with them. At the end of the day, they offered me a job, which I, I would say very impulsively took. And the impulsive part of that was I had noticed this was 96, 18 years ago now, that a lot of the things I was doing in my day-to-day work, beyond my academic area of work, uh, which is telecommunications, was all being driven out of this area. I didn't know Silicon Valley. I didn't really know a lot of software. I didn't know. I knew vaguely what it was, uh, and of course where it was and what it did. But I did not ever picture myself in it. But I had this sense, very strong sense, because the web had just come up. I had taught myself programming. I built a few websites. I used to do some theater in graduate studies. I built a website for my theater group. And then I got more engaged with what was happening on the web, and that all was coming out of here. There was a very strong and a single center of all of that innovation. So that coupled with the offer I had just sort of intuitively made sense to me. I couldn't yet figure out why but it was okay 
So I came here, and within six months of coming here, I had spun out the company that I started out of that company mm-hmm. uh, in telecommunications. We made uh, very fast optical switches for applications in large and small networks, metro mm-hmm. networks, and ended up getting funding from very good tier one investors, Kleiner Perkins and more David Ventures, then Cisco Systems invested, and very soon we had grown to a few hundred people and had raised under 120 million in financing, and grew that to 600 plus people, um, uh, and we're shipping to customers in Europe, in Asia, in the US, real equipment. I mean, this was not a software company, this was uh, equi- trans- transmission equipment that could do very fast links from data centers to nationwide networks. And we were very quickly number one or number two in the market with Nortel, Ericsson, and all these other telecom companies that had been there for decades. Mm. So that was a great education for me in startups and what startups are, how you grow a company, how you grow people within the company. Mm. We went from a few people to almost 700 at the peak. So that was, uh, I think, an education for a lifetime in, Mm. in how you do engineering, how you do development, how do you hire people, and everything had to be done very, very quickly. So from 97 to 2002, in five years, we have gone through this whole ride. Then in 2002-03, the market really softened up, and we were acquired by a East Coast company, Siena, which is now one of the largest telecom companies. They then acquired many other companies as well. And I didn't last very long there. It was a very big company. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure I know how to behave in a very large company. So it's to me, it seemed like... Um, we had a lot of meetings to figure out what other meetings we should have. <laughs> so I came out of there. Um, uh, and then since then, I have done a few projects. Um, two of them complete failures very quickly within one year. We knew it wasn't working and we moved on to something else. Uh, one of them in the mobile area is growing quite nicely. It's a company that uh, I started with kids from Stanford. I seed funded them and I was the first CEO and then after a year I told them you don't really need a CEO, you're doing really well and even today they don't have any other CEO, it's just the three of them running the company. Some at random events then eventually yeah. took me to True, True Ventures, I knew the folks here and they had funded a small project that, that didn't really work out in the e-commerce machine learning recommendation engine for e-commerce sites and after the, at the conclusion of that they said well, uh, I think we should try and figure out a way of working together. So here I am. So none of this was planned. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a plan. Not a plan. Maybe. No, I'm not very good at making plans. You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotian blog, which you find at degotian.com. So you're a very inspiring leader for the rest of us. Um, I wanted to tap you a bit about... Is there a business or a trend that you see that is coming that maybe we should keep our eyes on? I think there's several. There are Mm. many, many, many trends that are just beginning to develop and they'll have an impact worldwide. What Silicon Valley is really good at is not so much spotting what the trend is. Mm. People believe that that's what we do. We are ahead of everybody else in certain ways and I don't think we are. But what Silicon Valley is really good at is it has many intertwined complex networks, networks of information, networks of people, networks of knowledge. And I think it's very interesting to consider when there is a trend that happens, you need knowledge and a certain experience and expertise to, to, to use that to then build a new business in that, within that trend. Yeah. What happens in the Valley is no matter what the trend is, 
the networks are so strong, they very quickly refine this information into something that can be acted upon. And we do have access to capital, very risky capital, which would finance very early explorations into these. But what I would really stress is it's the quality of the networks that really determines how the experience or the expertise is transformed into something that could be applied to a new area. So it's not like we have a lot of people who are very bright individually, Mm. but I think we have networks that are collectively very strong and they can very easily take a lot of risk in the early days to go explore what Mm. could be possible here. Mm. And that's something that I think over generations, Silicon Valley has become very good at. Mm. Of course, it has a constant infusion of new young people coming in from every part of the world that continuously refreshes the, the, the mind bank. But still, it's the power of the network that I think really begins to, to utilize that individual power. We have the myth of this very bright, young founder, usually by herself or himself, who emerges with this grand idea. But if you really deconstruct that, that's really true. It's a nice myth to have because yeah. I think it, it's helpful <laughs> in, in telling stories. Yeah. But the reality is it's the network around them that lets them do mm. that unusual transformation of an idea mm. into a business that perhaps will change mm. an industry or grow a new mm. industry. Mm. So that's something which is very unique here. Mm. And I would say no matter what the trend is, and I'll go back to your original question about specifically what the trends are that we're mm. beginning to see. But... I think people here are confident, no matter what the trends are, that we should be able to do something about them. Now, the interesting thing is, I think, for the first time, although we are facing trends that are going to be more broadly distributed worldwide, they're not really contained within the U.S., certainly, or within the Valley. Uh, The biggest ones, biggest, single biggest one out of those is is, is broadly what we used to call mobile. But we should really think of a better name because it's now everywhere. Mm. And the scale of that is much bigger than what we have understood tech to be, technology to be. Our mental models are fixed, I think, by the experience we have of a decade, two decades ago, where you had mostly PCs and and wireline Mm. networks and the internet. The scale of the internet uh, compared to the scale of, of mobile networks is actually very small. So our mental model is we take all these lessons from tech which and we confuse tech and internet very mm. broadly, and we try and apply that to this new domain now. And I, I don't think a lot of lessons are applicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a very circular, very broad-based shift that's going to happen worldwide, mm-hmm. where technology comes into different industries, and the receptors of technology are now in multiple billions. Smartphones, phones of various kinds, are going to be in six billion plus people's hands. Mm. Uh, I think we are more than halfway there already, and. That is an order of magnitude more than the scale of the internet where mm. we have developed most of what we today think about as tech, whether it's productivity for knowledge workers, whether it's technology and infrastructure sense on the computing and the server side, or, uh, or data and what we do with data uh, across different kinds of industries. I think with the mobile scale of the kind that it is, We'll, of course, be able to use a lot of the experience and knowledge we have from the first generation of the internet, mm. but I think most of the interesting behaviors mm. and the trends will be completely new. Very interesting. And um, in maybe here in this network or maybe somewhere else, is there some leaders that you find inspiring, that you keep your eye on, what they're doing? So for us, I think that that's a great lesson of being in the valley now for almost 18 years that the best leaders the highest sources of highest 
information quality sources lie at the edges of these networks. These are new entrants into these networks. So people that, for example, I've known for two decades, yes, they're very trusty nodes in this network. I can ping them for just about anything. But I don't think that's where I'll have new information coming in. So for us, new information is going to come from an intern who is maybe working here for a few months, uh, a new person who arrives here with some notion that just seems absurd to everybody mm. here. Mm. But we really have to listen to those because those are the new pieces of information mm. that will drive big changes. Mm. Yes, there are going to be incremental changes of many kinds. So somebody yeah. experienced in the field comes with a business plan and says, here's what I can do. Yeah. That likely will work. But that likely will also be very incremental to the way the industry is today. Yeah. Now, it may still be a very successful company, a large yeah. company. But something that dramatically changes and creates a number of new opportunities is likely to happen with somebody from outside mm. this established network. Mm. And in a strange way, I think the Valley is actually really good at recognizing it. Even though it seems very insular, very closed, mm. and very sort of cliquish in the mm. way it, it, it's, it's networked together. Mm. But it's strange that at the outskirts of it, it's actually very open to new people yeah. and new ideas. Because mm. we know, we, we've learned this, that that's the only place where you'll have dramatic new changes. So to take that thought yeah. and you've also worked for large companies yes. as well oh a tiny first small period of time but you actually understand them so yes. you've been there what would be your recommendations to some of the leaders in those large established com- companies what should they do i think that the hardest thing for leaders to do is to recognize that their formative years gave them lessons that may no longer be valid and that's a hard thing to realize at a very human level, to walk up to somebody and say that, look, everything that made you who you are today mm. may not actually be really important for the next whatever it is you want to do, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, or a certain kind of project or new projects you want to do. And there's a reason why in large companies, they always have efforts to have new product introductions mm. uh, of various kinds and new innovation they want to drive. And most of them run over time, over budget, and below the results they expected, because People fundamentally are being asked to change their DNA Mm. in order to express something new. And that's just hard to do. So Mm. I think you do have to drive a much broader change in order to behave really differently Mm. and really recognize where are the networks that hold that unusual amount of knowledge Mm. that you can really exploit and how to build them. Mm. Because some of these large companies have fantastic amounts of deep knowledge. Mm. But that knowledge is not, unlike... The Valley, I think, that knowledge is not really held in networks. It's very contained inside companies and maybe networks inside those companies. And they've had good reason traditionally not to actually be very open to everybody else. Now, in the Valley here, it's not unusual to find people from competing companies meeting socially and otherwise every few days. And even meeting on very professional topics very regularly. There is, for example, a group of uh, engineers we know of in San Francisco that has either... CTO or chief of infrastructure or director of engineering or director of data kind of titles. And those all companies are frequently very competitive. And this is a group that meets every couple of weeks. They angel invest together. They look at new companies together. They advise new startups. So those kind of activities keep the networks very open and very refreshed. In companies, I think the networks have aged and the amount of knowledge they hold is not being refreshed anymore. 
So yes, there is knowledge there, but I think the rate of refresh has gone down, which they do need to change. So I think for big companies, I think it's imperative that they recognize where those networks are, how do we create new ones. Uh, and it's not about hiring somebody who is really spectacular or putting a lot of money into a particular area. That rarely is the main determining uh, reason. I, I think they, they need to figure out where those networks are, aggressively create them if they don't exist. Um, wherever they they are, I mean, they, they typically have headquarters and branches in many locations, network with, with local education facilities, with local small companies, with local industries, because something new will come out of that. Yeah. And they have to believe that because I think there's a model in the Valley and other places that proves that that happens. Very good. Very interesting position that you have. What is most exciting for you in the role and the job that you do? Well, the most exciting thing for us is without a lot of effort, we get to sort of refresh our assumptions and our knowledge nearly every week on the job here. We meet anywhere from a few to tens of entrepreneurs and companies every week that are doing something interesting, that are challenging the status quo or figuring out new ways of doing something. And if you have the right personality, at least for me individually, it's it's completely energizing to be able to think about something that hasn't happened yet, but it may unfold in several ways. And you're not, you're not certain it will happen that way, but to be able to run the thought experiment that it could happen this way, at least to me is very refreshing. I think it changes the way you think about nearly everything. And I think the personality has to fit because you could also get very dissatisfied with everything and saying, look, nothing is really good because you're always trying, you're always in the business of changing. Yeah. But if you find that interesting, then I think it's it's mm. amazing to, to be able to do that mm. week in, week out of uh, hearing new things, new perspectives and new takes on something that you may have thought uh, was either unchangeable mm. or unshakable or just a giant industry that would never change. No, we see that nearly every week. Which obviously adds to your insight on actually where to take your next steps as well. To get even more value out of the podcast series, Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian Insight Platform, which you can find at Degotian.com. So is there, you were talking about networks, is there a business network or a social network that you're so part of? I think that there are many, many, many different networks. They're all interconnected together. Mm. Some links are social, some links are professional, some mm. links are entirely business related. Mm. But I can traverse those networks very fast and find very good quality feedback very quickly. For example, if there's a new founder who has no in, interest or expertise in business or finance, but has a very good idea. Mm. Now, how do we support her to then take the first few steps of being a company? But I know within a few nodes of my network, I can call on a finance person, I can call on a legal firm, and then the right lawyer within that to help them get set up. I can call on some marketing and sales professionals to not to go work there, but to help that founder mm. think appropriately about what the challenges mm. are. So what that process looks like, and it's never formalized, it's mm. just sort of happens. That's what you do. But if you really understand and, and, and figure out the basic parts of that process, what you're really doing is you're setting up the scaffolding around that idea and that founder very quickly to really see if it could be yeah. something. And our business is to supply the capital necessary to support that scaffolding for a year or two years and see what happens. And we know that, for example, I mean, maybe close to a third of these experiments will not work out right. Another third of them are probably okay, but they're not going to grow rapidly. And it's only about a third that are really interesting and they begin to drive big changes. 
So we know that, but yet we do it as with as much focus on each mm-hmm. without really having a prior knowledge of whether this is going to succeed yeah. or not. Because I think the cost of doing that is very low, in mm-hmm. both in dollar terms or in network terms. Mm-hmm. So if I call up a lawyer and say, well, here's a new founder, they're going to start a company, can you help them with the formation? And by the way, don't charge them anything because they don't have any money yet. And that's not a hard call for me to make. In fact, I have probably a dozen choices I, I have about who to contact there. Similarly on finance, similarly on sales and marketing, um, engineering, infrastructure. And, and then very quickly get them to the point where they can start having meaningful conversations with potential customers. Uh, so what you're doing is you're helping them complete the loops much faster than a larger company would do or perhaps is possible mm. in other parts of the world. And that's really, truly unique about what we do here, I think. Very good. So my final question for you is a bit old one. If you were a furniture, what would you be and why? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can honestly say I've never, ever been asked <laughs> to think about that. <laughs> um, I like wood, so one, it would be wood. I don't think it would be any other material. I think wood is a fantastic engineering material that somehow nature has delivered to us with perfection. So it would be made of wood. What function it could have? I don't know. I like ladders made of wood. So I think it would be something like a ladder. It may lead to some place I don't know, but that's something that, that I would really, truly like. Very good. Thank you so much. Very inspiring. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by DigOcean, with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you'd like to listen to, contact us via our website, digocean.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.